Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Bob Brighthop. Bob is a veteran of over 40 years in music as a performer, arts administrator, educator, author, music contractor, entrepreneur, and visionary in the arts. As a musician, he has performed in diverse solo, small ensemble, and orchestral settings, and has appeared with a virtual who's who of great jazz talents and scores of other noted artists. At one point, from 2001 to 2012, he was the executive director of the Jazz Arts Group of Columbus. In 1981, he was the co-founder of Columbus Pro Percussion. He has also been a past president of the Percussive Arts Society, and Bob is recognized internationally as one of today's leaders in percussion education. He is the professor of music and the department chair of performance studies at Capital University. He is the author of The Complete Percussionist, one of the standard textbooks in percussion education, and the instructional DVD, Snare Drum Basics. I'm also proud to mention that Bob was my percussion instructor during my time at Capital University. To find out more about this podcast and all the other episodes that we've done, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. This really helps this podcast grow. If you like what we're doing here at Working Drummer Podcast and you want to help sustain this ongoing project that Mike and Zach and I have been doing for over two and a half years, there's a way that you can help. And there are many progressive rewards for those of you who can help. I'm talking about free Skype lessons from pro drummers like Ben Caesar and Carter McLean, a free Working Drummer t-shirt, access to bonus content, shout outs, Twitter follows, and even a personal feature on you within an episode. Check out all the details at patreon.com slash working drummer. Donations start out at a dollar per month. So check that out. Patreon.com slash working drummer. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash working drummer. You can also find the uh, donate button on our website. So here's my conversation with Bob Brighthop. I was recently in, in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, uh, and how that came about is I have a former, you know, we've got a former student, Chris Michael, Capital grad. Of course, yeah. he went to, went to North Texas and, and then spent about 10 years in New York, uh, and he was part Lebanese, which I didn't realize, but had family over in the Beirut area, and then took an opportunity Oh, maybe maybe close to ten years ago to start playing in uh, Dubai and a couple of other places there, and things developed very quickly for him. Um, you know, he was able to play a lot of gigs and uh, hook up with some singers, but also began to do some teaching in the Middle East, and also um, uh, you know was playing with uh, the, ultimately the Lebanese uh, Philharmonic for a while uh, until he had to leave that. Just because of his time, and now he's uh, he's really uh, become quite uh, noted in the Mid East, not only as a a teacher, percussion teacher, and drum set teacher, uh, but also as a uh, you know as a player. He's he's starting the tour with a major Lebanese pop star, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So his career is going real well. But he he was. Uh, he does some teaching and works with a, a place in Beirut called the Bach Institute, 
which has both classical classes and uh, contemporary and jazz classes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he came up with the idea of doing a drum set workshop, which was uh, essentially uh, modeled after the summer drum set workshops that, that I used to do with Ed Soph and Steve Houghton and Guy Romanco right. from the, in, in the 80s and 90s. And, um, and into about 2005, okay. uh, but, uh, he, uh, but he, he put this uh, week-long, five-day-long workshop together, um, which featured myself uh, and then a, 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 a Lebanese, uh, outstanding Lebanese drummer by the name of Fahoud, and then Chris. So the three of us were the faculty for this workshop. And um, that was cool, and uh, I got a chance to play uh, uh, a gig while I was there with a couple of pretty good uh, players. Um, wow. And uh, one was uh, Lebanese, one was an expat, and um, and uh, so um, uh, that was fun. And... Um, uh, and and then got a chance to you know experience uh, the the Middle East and uh, you know lots of really cool stories there. But it's it's a fascinating part of the world, not a part of the world that that a lot of us have have right. been to. You know, right, uh, right. And um, it's one thing to say that you've maybe been to you know Israel or whatever because right. of, of of that, but to go on up um, is another thing. And and. It's, you know, I think when you when you travel, um, you, um, uh, you you know we're so jaded in terms of the information that we get, no matter which side of the media that we're on, if you yeah. will. Uh, but it's it's all. But you know, there's never there's never a straight line in geopolitics. There's <laughs> there's you know it's there's it's always complex. Yes, just like world history. Yes, and so you know to go over and spend really spend time with these people in the Middle East talking about this stuff. It, you know, you you come away and say, well, damn, it's 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 no wonder we've never been able to get any kind of a a treaty going over there. You know, yeah. these people have been fighting each other, uh, you know, for thousands of years, yes. and, and it's it's like the Hatfields and McCoys on steroids. You know, yeah, it's uh, very much, you, you, yeah, it's crazy. Well, in our concept of history, at least for for those in the United States is, is very limited. I mean, we think of 100 and 200 years as being a long time. And for most cultures around the world, it, you're just like, no, wait, this has been going on for thousands of years, or this is this type of thing is ingrained for thousands of years. Um, it, most of the people that I know that have spent any time overseas or in the Middle East, it's always USO tours. Uh, of yeah. some sort, um, if they're not in the military, uh, at least musicians that I know. Uh, I had a chance to go over in 2001 uh, to Dubai and um, Saudi Arabia for uh, uh-huh. a, um, uh, one of the USO tours, and that was an, uh, an eye-opening experience. And that was April of 2001. It was before 9-11, but still the security uh-huh. and the, uh, the stories. And I, I, I met somebody who was Lebanese that had... Um, was working and living in Saudi Arabia, but had never been to Lebanon before, because he was born there, but he wasn't a citizen. So, I mean, just really interesting, kind of just how people were working and making a living within a very small 
part of the world, um, but how complex that stuff is. But you, you mentioned that, um, and I, I went to uh, high school with Chris at Fort Hayes, yeah. uh, and then uh, obviously Capital with him. So when you mentioned that when we saw each other last month, I, it just blew my mind. I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's that's amazing. What a what a what a great thing, and and. Um, so just the knowing that there are there are opportunities for people to to work all around the world and do different things uh that was just a a, a revelation when you mentioned that Chris was doing that I was like wow well you know it, it's it's really fascinating because first of all um uh i mean they um it's sort of like going to China, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you can get yourself there as an American and talk about American music, um, you you know, this is what people, you know, so many people uh, want to educate themselves in is, is what we do in American music. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the Internet in particular, um, you know, in in Lebanon, they don't have internet restrictions the way you you find in China. Gotcha. And so and so it it allows players over there to really um, you know, really develop. And I mean, I heard I heard um, I would say the the top five or six players in this workshop. There are about twenty five people in the workshop. The top five or six players in this particular workshop were as strong as the top five or six people that we ever had in in, in um, our you know workshops, drum set workshops here in the states from year to year. Wow. I mean, these there were some there were some players who were quite good, and um, now they because of them getting so much of their content uh, via YouTube, right. I never really run into this before, uh, in such a su- such an uh, to such an extent. Although I, it could be this way here to mm-hmm. to a degree, and um, uh, the um, uh, you know there there was there's certain um, things that they didn't really understand. Like when I started talking about um, uh, like. Um, Open playing, uh, you know, a broken time and the ECM style. You know, they looked at they looked at me. They they'd heard of of uh, you know uh, Gary Burton or they'd heard of Pat Metheny and they'd yeah. heard of this and that, but they had no direct reference to to ECM as a record label mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't consume their music that way. Right. They consumed their music by watching YouTube. Yeah, and getting stuff, and so whereas you know, I could I can turn to a student and say, "Hey, look, you need to make yourself familiar with the the ECM catalog and the ECM style," and they make that direct connect. I had to, uh, even with some really good players, I had to to uh, uh, explain what ECM was, call some stuff up on the internet, yeah, and uh, then they got it. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that that uh, you know jazz being kind of a, an American institution is is it getting lost on the young people in America that are coming up and maybe uh, not appreciating this original i this original art form the way uh, say other cultures around the world you mentioned like China, and I met some Eastern Europeans when I was doing some work on some cruise ships um, 
when I was doing some touring with this group the last few years, and we would experience some of jazz musicians from Ukraine and and other places that would that just were amazing, yeah. amazing players. I mean, there were times when you heard. Uh, it's hard to explain. Like y- you could tell that their uh, their love of the music and their knowledge of the material was deep. Sometimes it didn't swing quite the way you would expect it, but still, they had such an appreciation for the art form uh, in a way that I hadn't really... Of course, I've been here in Nashville for a long time, so (laughs) maybe maybe I'm seeing things through a smaller lens. But are you noticing that as as the way uh, the world of information is is, uh, more open to the world or... Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, um, uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to go back and, and, and reference uh, things um, the way they were, let's say, when I was a teenager and, and college age, which would have been the early 70s. Um, you know, I think that the, the immediacy um, of, uh, and lots of people talk about this, actually, the, mm-hmm. the, the fact that music can be consumed so quickly and so and accessed so easily that that um you know uh, we, we would have to we would listen to an entire album from beginning to end and yeah. then read the liner notes yes you know turn it over and read the liner notes and yes. then within those liner notes somebody might talk about why oh, this guy played with so and 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 so was their influence and so I think there was a, at least for me and and the the guys that I grew up with, there was a need to look back and at least appreciate um, a good portion of the history. Okay, at least from the bebop period forward. Okay, yeah, uh, you know. Uh, but now I think that you know students have a tendency to to live in the here and now. I'll give you an example, and I and I don't mean to be. Uh, uh, disparaging to anybody, but yeah. but uh, but uh, you, you know, uh, let's see, go through twenty twenty five years ago. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without anybody trying to emulate something that Dave Weckl did. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but you know, Weckl, as incredible a player as he was and still is, mm-hmm. better now than ever. You know, most of most of my students have a very very. Um, uh, shallow uh, uh, awareness of Weckl or Dennis Chambers or mm. you know guys like that that were at the forefront of the business and the industry, you know, twenty five, twenty, twenty five years ago. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Vinny, Gad, um, uh, you know, th- those guys like that. I mean, they've stood the test of time, but um, many others, uh, not so much. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Omar Akim, for instance, they would be c- familiar with him yeah. through some of his pop work, but not necessarily as, uh, you know, uh, with him going back as far as Weather Report. So, so uh, right. excuse me. Um, so I, uh, uh, you know, I think that to answer your question, I think that that, that so many players start with such a uh, awareness of the as i say the here and now and then they ha- then they move back but um you know i suspect that that's just not unique to to jazz i mean i would suspect that uh that um 
uh, you, you know, the, the guys who are coming and moving to Nashville um, might not, uh, and they might be really good players, they might not understand the, the significance of a guy like Larry London, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Uh, you, you know, and and the other guys from from back in the day, right? And um, so it, I th- I think it's just um, I don't think it's necessarily unique to um, uh, to to uh, uh, you to know jazz. to jazz, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's so funny you, you bring up Omar. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, recently, and they were talking about seeing Sting and Josh Fries playing with him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it was amazing. Some people are like, well, you know, it'd be great if, if Vinny, because, you know, the, the traditional drummer that now I realize that Vinny was with Sting for, for the longest period of many drummers. And, and I, right. I mentioned, I said, well, if you want to be really traditional as far as Sting solo career, go back to Omar. And he was like, yeah. oh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, what do you mean, oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's Omar and, and, you know, even before that, but um, Stuart. Well, I mean, but, I, I, you know, Omar, uh, I mean, there were players before Omar, but I, I, I mean, I saw, you know, Omar joined the band uh, in like 82. Yeah. And, uh, and at least, at least I hadn't heard of the guy. And my wife and I were in in Toronto and and uh, saw Omar uh, with um, with the weather report at the at the uh, uh, Toronto Jazz Festival. Yeah, wow. And uh, he was playing a big Gretsch kit at the time with a with a trash can lid, literal trash can lid, turned <laughs> upside down. And it just it completely blew me away. In fact, so much that I called back back home to the guys at the drum shop, the Columbus Percussion, and said, <laughs> man, there's this guy, I can't remember, he was some crazy name, you know, and uh, because he, because he, I'd seen Weather Report many times prior to that, yeah. and uh, and he was a guy, you know, just to, in terms of significance as we look at drummers, he's a guy that lit the band up, yeah. um, and it almost... Uh, you know, when when you had Joe Zawinul and Wayne Shorter smiling on stage, you know that that was an accomplishment with those dudes. So, uh, yeah. which is what was happening. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's that kind of stuff. The cool thing is, it's a lot of it's available on YouTube, but right. you have you have to convince young players to do the digging historically to um, uh, to, to to check that out. Well, when I was studying with you, you you mentioned twenty twenty five years ago. That was twenty twenty five years ago. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, in in the people that I was listening to, you were saying, "Well, now listen, let's let's talk about their influences." And then that's right. Who were they were listening to? So, you know, we go back from rock drummers into you know kind of this pivotal moment in popular music in the nineteen sixties, and who was listening to what. And so we kind of like fell into like. Mitch Mitchell, and that pivotal drummer that was uh, one example, great example of what he was listening to that, uh, you know, influenced the next generation of rock drummers that influenced the next generation. And so now we're getting onto the, but uh, just, and then you can hear the style. Then you can, when you know the influence of that drummer, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I hear it now. I hear it in in NFL. You hear the Philly Joe. You hear the the different things that, that uh, Mitch was listening to, these different drummers that he was listening to. Well, I think Mitch Mitchell was, was, um, you know, an incredibly pivotal, pivotal, yeah, pivotal player. Uh, First of all, he was so damn young um, when he was playing with Hendrix. I mean, he was a young kid. And then 
to be able to meld um, you know essentially what was a was a was a jazz fusion style together i mean he is absolutely one of the first key fusion players mm. however um you know he was so closely associated with a style that no one ever called fusion even though it was which yeah. was which was hendrix yeah um uh, you know because of the clothes and everything like that um uh, the, but but if you really you know if you listen to especially if you listen to the uh, the RU Experience record from front to back and really check out what this you know the 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 level of maturity of this really young guy mm-hmm. playing this stuff and the depth of his understanding I mean I think he you, you know I, I think that Mitch Mitchell without question is one of the most underappreciated drummers mm. that we've we've ever had yeah. um, in terms of the, of the significance I think uh, all the different drum clinics that Columbus Pro had and a couple here down in Tennessee I had a chance to meet some wonderful drummers but I, I never got starstruck in until the time that I met Mitch one time down here in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, it was, it was amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your clinics, uh, maybe some of your experience in Lebanon, but when you do clinics, when you do something outside of school, is there something that you, cause I, I talk to different players that are do clinic tours and there's a main focus or there's a, set of uh, preparations that they do for clinics or maybe a takeaway they want the student or the audience to have uh, with that. Is there something that uh, that you do? Is there a common theme that you run with your clinics? Well, actually, uh, Matt, there's, you know, it's kind of been growing more and more over over the years. And, and, and most recently, um, I've, I've been landing on uh, something where I, I talk uh, about the 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 drum set as an an oral and aural instrument now we you know it's no it's no big uh, news flash that that uh, um that we talk about learning to that we all learn to play by ear but if we really put this on paper and uh, on a on a whiteboard let's say and graph it out and i i I'll talk about four different modes aural oral uh, tactile and visual, and I put it on a, a sort of a grid, and and talk about the fact that that as drummers we learn, you know we 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 end up playing what we've both heard and in most cases verbalized or sung, mm-hmm. and 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 really the the three modes together the the tactile the playing part is the is the realization of what we've heard and what we've sung yeah. and and that's really that's really kind of folk music in general and uh and uh you know i've begun to call the the drum set the great american folk instrument <laughs> Uh, because and you know when we think about a folk instrument, you know the first thing we, we you know a lot of people who think folk well must be you must be talking about uh, a banjo or yeah. or a, you know or the Peter Paul and Mary or something like that. No, a folk instrument is an is an instrument that's essentially indigenous to any culture, yeah. and uh, and clearly the drum set is indigenous to American culture in that. 
it was a combination uh, of instruments that came from other cultures all put together to accompany this new music. Right. And so um, how, did, how do we learn the music? Well, we hear it, you know, and then we usually verbalize it, and then we, uh, and then we play it, you know, uh, the tactile part. Yeah. And, and then we use our eyes to watch other players or to watch other, uh, other, other uh, musicians. Of course, we eventually use our eyes to read. But um, the big difference, uh, and, and actually what causes problems for a lot of young drummers, uh, is the fact that the reading comes last. And, uh, and so much of our playing is not reliant upon having to learn to read, where uh, Western music education is based almost, at least the, at the, from, the, from the fu- fundamental part of it, yeah. based almost entirely on going back and forth between the visual and tactile modes. And and uh, so you, you know so we we're we uh, drummers, uh, guitar players, bass players, mm-hmm. keyboard you know you know guys who are you know playing in, in bands in any style, you know we're coming out of a of an oral and oral mode, yeah. whereas people who are in traditional you know tra- learn traditionally are in this tactile and visual mode all the time. That causes problems for drummers. Um, and uh, so a lot of my teaching now, my clinics, are centered around, you know, um, how do we, uh, you, you know, how do we acknowledge this? How do we listen? What do we listen to? What's the role of the drummer? Uh, uh, you know, how do we, uh, you know, what, what is syncopation? How is that defined? I mean, a lot of that kind of real basic stuff to try to establish a baseline of understanding not only how we learn to play the instrument, but but uh, but how we can uh, learn to 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 adapt to other styles. So, uh, how did this concept come about? Did you did you have an epiphany one day, or was this just over time? This concept. No, it just grows concept? over time. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, being able to uh, be able to hang out with. Um, uh, you know, other teachers uh, yeah. that that certainly helps. Um, uh, and, and think about if you really follow the history of the instrument, yeah. um, you, you know, uh, and and the connections that let's take a ride rhythm for instance, how the ride rhythm connects to what other players are doing, and um, uh, and 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 how it all connects uh, physically, mm-hmm. but also how it uh, connects uh, orally. Um, you know, that's uh, from the listening and and. Uh, and singing part of it that's that's really what it is then you, uh, you know, our job as teachers is to um make something uh simple that's perceived as complicated so um you take the subject of comping let's say yeah. and you just say look you take a, a figure it's in your left hand it's in your right hand it's back and forth and it's really just a simple melodic figure let's sing it now let's play it. Now it's up to you to go to the practice room and get the coordination necessary to bring this on into your into your everyday playing. Right, right. I remember there was something that you said to me that I, I, I still use uh, when I teach is that, you know, if you're going to say, hey, this is complicated, this is a complicated piece, well, already in your mind, you're already setting yourself up for, okay, whoa, this is going to be complicated. That's right. You know, so right. it's like, let's just approach this from a base level and, and 
you know, move on from there. But if it, it seems like teachers or people that are instructing, when they say that right off the bat, okay, I'm going to I'm going to show you something. It's, it's it's pretty hard, but I think you'll get it. You're it, it's you're complicating things, you know. In my experience, is that 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 uh, that's a lose lose proposition. First of all, it 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 tightens up the student. And for whatever reason, the teacher is coming into the classroom or into the studio and, and trying to place their, uh, you know, you talk about how complicated it is so it makes them look smart. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people do this. I'm, I know that we all have done it on occasion mm-hmm. uh, as teachers, but I try to avoid it like the plague and, and go the opposite way. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a com. I was going to say something about that that movie that came out a couple of years ago about the drum set instructor. I, I don't remember. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I saw. I saw the movie. Did you? I haven't. Scared the, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, whip, whiplash. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I have not seen it, but man, so many people come up to. Have you seen that movie? Have you seen it? Oh, you should watch yes, it. I, I, yeah, you're a drummer. Yeah. You should watch it. And I'm like, I, I, I like, I don't want to watch it because. <laughs> you, you know, I saw the movie, Matt, and I and I thought to myself, now I I understand how uh, cops and lawyers and army generals must feel when they go to see a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not me, really. It's not. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It's like no, it's not that way, you know. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Well, I grew up in a uh, grew up in a, a, a small town north of Columbus, um, Marion, Ohio, about fifty miles north. And um, uh, you know, I was in a music kind of a musical family in that my mom played some piano, and we always had music on. Uh, we, you know, we would, in, of course, in those days, you didn't have cable television, so you, you know, when it was Saturday night, uh, everybody sat around and they watched. Uh, uh, the Lawrence Welk show when it was Sunday night at eight o'clock, it was the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it goes on from there. And, uh, so I, you know, I became really interested in music early on, but, you know, because I wanted to play the trombone and because, because, uh, uh, you know, I saw Dixieland band on the, uh, on the Lawrence Welk show, you know, it's corny, but, I think most musicians of certainly of my age would have some kind of a similar experience. Some guys, of course, you know, had the had the gift of being able to be active in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, especially black musicians. You know, mm-hmm. but I I didn't I didn't uh, wish I had, but mm-hmm. uh, that 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 wouldn't have wouldn't have worked out. Um, I'm sure at the time, but nonetheless, um, I started playing drums. I, I just was attracted to the drums. I started playing, you know, in a normal, 
the normal way uh, everybody does in a school situation. But you know, it, it just it just fit. You know, everything was right. I was uh, I was able to do things that the other kids couldn't do. You know, it sort of sort of went on from there. I started on the snare drum only because we didn't have any money, and then finally got a drum set and and. Uh, and it, it just it just fell into place quickly. I could I could I could do it. I couldn't do much else. I wasn't a really great student or anything like that. But I had this ability to uh, to play, and uh, then I was able to uh, get connected with some other guys. Of course, these were the garage band days. So, uh, um, and interestingly, I grew up in this town, Marion, Ohio, that. Um, uh, it, it because of the uh, uh, of the manufacturing up there, there were a whole bunch of high end um, advertising firms, and these advertising firms had these guys in them, uh, and it was guys. Uh, they were always like madmen. I mean, and so these were the hippest characters around, and they were all listening to jazz. And uh, their sons and daughters were all my age, and I got to start hanging around. At the you know some are some of the friends playing so we played some bands together, and um, and then you know a couple of these guys took me under their wing in terms of introducing me to listening to some different kinds of music. In addition to that, I got to be very close with a guy by the name of Bobby Floyd. Now Bobby Floyd is continues to be one of the world's great B three Hammond B three organ players, yeah. great piano player. He's the pianist with the Count Basie band right now and 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 he lives here in Columbus. Yeah. But he but he's one of the great B3 organ players in the world. We had a jazz trio when we were 15 years old together. Wow, I didn't know that. Then. Yep, we played in clubs, we saw our first bar fights together. Um <laughs> uh you know and um there was a, a we had a really good vocalist in our class uh, and a, a bass player who was not bad, but especially Bobby and I were able to connect. We still play together, yeah. travel all over the world, and uh, but nonetheless, that really gave me uh, a whole other level of experience early on. I played in a uh, you know a good jazz band uh, through high school with a, a director who uh, had some uh, real interests. Uh, in in jazz, and um, I started playing a lot of gigs when I was a kid, you know, like real young. Um, anyway, I mean, I just had a, a real kind of a rich and crazy experience. Started teaching when I was sixteen uh, in a local music store. We had a really vibrant musical community, and uh, then went to school. Um, uh, you know, in those days, uh, they didn't have jazz program. I mean, North Texas had a jazz program. I was invited to go there, uh, you know, as a right out of high school. Mm-hmm. But I was 17 years old, didn't have any money. I, I would just it just didn't make the sense uh, to go. So I went to a place called Bowling Green State University, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I went there because. Uh, there was a, a, a vibist who was my teacher, and a guy by the name of Lou Marini, not Blue Lou, from, uh, but his dad, Lou Marini Sr., was on the faculty there. And uh, we had a, an assemblage of, of some really fabulous young players who are still in the business. Um, Rich Perry is one of the great tenor players in the world, played with, uh, with the Mel Lewis band. Tim Hagen's one of the great jazz trumpet players in the world. Scott Lavender, who's, uh, who's Johnny Mathis's musical conductor, was in school. We were all in school. All these guys were in school at the same time in this, at this place. So, yeah. you know, anyway, went from there. 
uh, fast forward, I, I, um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd hoped to get, I had some friends on the Stan Kenton band who were, I was in school with, who were hoping to get me on the band. I played a bunch of other gigs and done some traveling during school and, and some Poconos gigs in the summer. But I got to know a bunch of people. I'd hoped to get on the Stan Kenton band, actually, in 1977 yeah. after I graduated. There was only one problem. Stan Kenton died. And um, uh, and there was a, another guy, a player, who was who was on the, the Kenton band. But I, I knew that these things turn over. Right. Uh, and I was I was hoping that um, I could uh, uh, you know be, be able to move into that chair and other other guys thought so but Kenton died and um, so that there that went um, had a chance to do uh, to go out on the road with the Tommy Dorsey band which was a ghost band but a lot of guys went through with that and but I also got invited to come down to Columbus and start doing a bunch of playing. Mm-hmm. in 77 and uh so i came down here one thing led to another came back the following year finished grad school and started a capital and uh i expected i was only going to be in columbus for a, a year or two and then moved to new york <laughs> but uh you know 40 years later uh that's uh, not the case right <laughs> and but actually it, it 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 you know i'm sorry to be so long-winded about this no, but, no, but in, great, yeah. in, in in terms of the business um, uh, you know, sometimes, and I, I guess that that it, it, the, the message here is that it's possible to make your way in the business, even today, yeah. if you know, with with multiple uh, opportunities. So, yeah. you know, I was playing these shows. I was playing all kinds of, of gigs um, in the day. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I started playing stage shows on percussion. Um, and uh, going, you know, going out on the road a little bit, uh, did some tours, and and sort of established myself at Capital. Decided I wanted to try to make a go of that with the uh, the teaching. Taught at another place for a couple years. Started full time in '81, and the same time I started full time in '81, Jim Rupp and I opened the drum shop, yeah, Columbus Percussion, yeah, in the fall of '81, and um, and then also in 1981, I was like became the president of the state chapter of Ohio PAS. So I don't know how in the hell I did it, you know, in terms of, of, of the energy. I didn't have any kids at the time, but... Well, that, that's uh, it right there. That's it, um, I think. But um, but still, I mean, it was that, you know, that kind of relentless um, uh, pursuit of not knowing what you're pursuing. You know, you, you're ju- it, you know it's just, you, you want to have a plan, but you don't want the plan to be so rigid that, that that it's it's dictating what you're doing because the business is, it moves uh, you know uh, it's so malleable that uh, you just kind of have to just bust yourself and hope for the best and and so in essence what happened with me at least was I was able to lay out a foundation in about three or four different areas in Columbus yeah and in and in Ohio that I could never have done if I would have lived in, in, um, New York or in LA or, you know, I, I would have only been able to do one of those things. Hmm. And, and, um, it wasn't easy, you know, I mean, for a while, I mean, I, I, I thought about moving, uh, um, uh, you know, a couple times. I actually had a good buddy who was in uh, Nashville, 
who eventually moved to Chicago. Uh, I was ac- actually came down and visited him in Nashville and did a, did a few uh, uh, did a few uh, spots in in, uh, in Nashville around uh, in the late '80s and early '90s. But thought about uh, actually making the move at that time, but didn't. And uh, and so anyway, I just kept it kept it going in. Um, in Columbus, and, uh, and and that's that. There's so many of the interviews that I do with, with different players and different people in the industry, and there's like a traditional arc that we go through, and it settles in on the story that leads up to their current gig or their current set of gigs or whatever. Uh-huh. But there's this just this huge list of things uh, I've got, like, uh, you know, from one of your bios, uh, you know, I've got a list of things, uh, performer, arts administrator, educator, author, music contractor, entrepreneur, visionary in the arts. There's there's just so much here that um, uh, one of the questions I had was, uh, having this diverse workload, was it a conscious strategy or did it just all, all happen? Well, I think it was a little bit of both, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, Matt, I think it circles back to to something that I try to tell the students, and that is that we, you know, we're blessed in that we're able to, if you play your cards right, you're able to make a career, and hopefully, I mean, if for my in my case, a, a very comfortable career out of out of something you started doing when you were a kid yeah you know i yeah. mean and man that, that had something else you know you you i mean you don't have somebody who's 10 years old saying well you know i think i'd like to be an insurance actuary you know <laughs> I, I mean you know are you kidding uh but 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 you start playing um you start playing music or you or on another another fact you, you start in athletics you know yeah, and so it, and i and it's it's very interesting how i think that that musicians in particular artists but especially musicians and athletes seem to have this this mutual respect for one another mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and i think it's because you, we understand it's it's these are individual efforts that we have to do in many cases they're team efforts and it's also something that we can leverage our our skills into a lifetime career um and that's kind of uh, you know you take something like uh arts administrator i mean i was a, you know i was executive director of the jazz arts group right. in columbus for 11 years now i started with that uh the organization was founded in the 70s by a colleague ray eubanks who uh and and I, then I started playing in the band well, right away when I came to town, but full-time with the band in 80. But I've always stayed very connected to the business side of that organization. Yeah. Um, and then I was president of PAS in, 2000, in 99 and 2000, got really interested in the subject of strategic planning. That organization, Jazz Arts Group, said, well, we need some help in strategic planning. Would you help us out? Yes. Um, then they said, well, this went well. Would you consider being an interim executive director until we find an executive director? I said, sure, I can try to work it out. And then I was the, then I became the executive director along with all this other stuff until 2012, you know? Yeah. So 
you know, did it did it make life crazy? Yes. Did it make did it did it maybe keep me from maybe you know being at the university eight hours a day? Uh, yeah. Uh, but I think I was also able to bring bring a level of, of understanding about the business and, in, in, you know, increased level of understanding the business to the students that I worked with. And so to answer your question, I've always kind of saw this as, at least my career, as being one great big stew, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and uh, uh, you know, maybe not getting all the bases covered all the time, but really trying to cover a hell of a lot of bases yeah and uh and um you know and 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 try and then trying to impart knowledge i i i i my wife's a teacher um was a teacher she retired i've always loved teaching and communicating and and that's kind of been at the basis for a lot of you know what i what i've done with this stuff and as i move towards retirement formal retirement as a teacher here in a few years, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't keep me from wanting to impart knowledge. Uh, so as a matter of fact, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in process in the process right now. Uh, I don't know if any of people who listen to this will mm-hmm. pick up on it, but I'm in the process right now of, of, of putting together a new concept for a drum set pedagogy camp or workshop that myself and Ed Sof are going to lead that we're going to try to start next summer. Wow. So what that what that means is we're going to try to talk about the subject of drum set for serious teachers, you know, uh, to, to, to try to promote the, the art of teaching um, uh, because, uh, you know, neither he nor I are spring chickens. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, even though we're still very interested in all this stuff, we just want to make sure that it that the subject of drumstick teaching continues to evolve. So that's the kind of thing that, that I end up being interested in and probably why my career's been so diverse. Students today are far less patient um, then, then of course, we you hear this all the time, but I'm telling you, it, it, especially in the last 15 years, um, they they so right when I left. Yeah, sorry. No, it's a little more recent than that. Okay, uh, but uh, uh, but but you know, the students. I mean, if you don't get a text back from somebody in 15 seconds, you wonder if it went through. I mean, it it, yeah. it just sort of goes on and on. So the idea of turning to somebody and saying, um, saying, look, look, you don't do this very well, okay? Uh, okay, so that that let me start with that. Um, uh, you know, that is uh, a big change. Uh, if you turn to a kid and say, you know what, this just isn't very good, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the the number of times that they have had a an educator turn to them one on one and say essentially this stinks you know and 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 you're being honest with them mm-hmm. so that you've got to find today a very careful way to deliver that information i'm usually not too careful about it you know <laughs> but 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 uh but anyway that's that has uh that has changed in that um, you know, students have not, you know, they, 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 they're not used to getting the information, the truth, 
light on them straight ahead about things. And so you've got to find the right way to get that information out. And then beyond that, to turn to a student and say, now, look, I'm going to, you're going to embark on something here that, that is going to, you're going to do hours and hours and hours, and, and the change is going to come incrementally over a six-month or one-year period. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not going to be a text message uh, learning process. Um, and, um, and so th- that takes a lot of convincing, a lot of trust, and um, what I believe how things have changed for me is I'm talking about fundamentals much more today than I did years ago. Yeah. Do you feel like they're coming in with this information that they're gathering? Like you said, they're, they're, they're getting a lot of information online, but, but they're missing part of the fundamentals? Well, I mean, or or the or you have to change the fundamentals, the, the fundamental paradigm. So, as an example, you know, a lot of kids that come into colleges now, they've been through this. They and, and I and I and I love the activity, so don't get me wrong here. But yeah. they've been through a very heavy uh, marching, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a drumline experience. Okay. Sure. So and and uh, so they they've they've been graded. You know, you're great if you get a 96. You suck if you get an 85. Um, uh, you, you know, and and uh, you're kind of lifted up on a pedestal if you win. And in many cases, the students have a very very narrow um, uh, perspective of of how you play the instrument, uh, how sound is created, uh, what it means to what what movement is, because you know they may have this kind of movement because they play the snare drum or this kind of movement because they play this or this instrument or that. And so what I have to do is from the get-go to break this down and say things like, uh, look, the the subject of, uh, you, you know, the main goal here is to put an instrument into vibration as a drummer. Yeah. You know, you're trying to put a drum into vibration, a cymbal into vibration. You know, uh, you know, m- uh, motion is time, time is motion. I mean, these kinds of very fundamental statements that these these students, especially now, have never heard or most importantly, they have never thought about. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's... It, it, it really is, you know, I'm taking some kids who, in some cases, have really excelled in their own little mode, yeah. uh, have, have won, uh, you know, won contests with their groups or this or that, or have been told that they're great, and just, and just kind of break it down. Not dissimilar, by the way, to what you would find with, uh, a, a Division One college coach doing with a an all-state football player mm. or basketball player who like a basketball player who who doesn't have a jump shot you know um um and it's like look dude you got to you've got to learn to do a jump shot here's here's the position of your body um you, you know you might have been able to get up over to the top of everybody in your in your state yeah, but yeah. you know it doesn't work that way anymore. You got to learn how to shoot the basketball. Right. So uh, um, most students um, are um, able to take this information because if you establish the if you establish a level of trust and um, um, you know uh, and, and then quite frankly. Um, 
if it really gets down to it, you say, "Hey, look, guys, uh, you know, uh, let, let's take a look at who all uh, has has listened to um, <laughs> to to what's going on here in this program." You know, let's talk about you know Matt Billingsley or Matt Krause or Brian Fullen or Josh Hickman. I mean, those are just four guys right there in in Nashville who have 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 been through this thing and and ha- and have forged out their own uh successful careers uh and that's just uh uh you know that's just four names in one place and um um and let's let's go if you're going to let's let's listen to this let's go let's get down to it forget what you you know forget a lot of what you've heard before and and let's uh let, let's make this happen and there was a student uh, or a teacher uh, discussing uh, how he was getting these great students from drumline, and and they were all worried about stick height and how he had to disassemble that concept and say, look, or deconstruct that concept and say, look, on the drum set, or when you're keeping time, this time in the air, it's like we're not matching, we're tr- we're not trying to match stick heights. We're trying to create yeah. this, you know, that do. Uh, and you, you reminded me of a. Um, so I've got I've got two boys, uh, 12 and 15 now in my, uh, they both take piano lessons and they've got a great teacher, but she's, um, she's very kind and very patient. And, uh, I find myself supplementing their lessons with a little bit more heavy handedness that uh, I don't feel like is addressed. So uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the, uh, recitals, uh, you know, I thought my 12-year-old, my who loves music, does really well, sings and, and other things like that, he, um, I just didn't feel like he spent the time that he needed to, and his performance was okay. And everybody, you know, grandparents, oh, you did so great, you sounded great, oh, we're so proud of you. And so he and I are in the car driving, and I said, hey, listen, um, I, I, I thought you did I thought you did well, but I, I'm going to say something, it's, it's probably going to hurt your feelings, but I I'm just want to... I think I need to tell you is that I think you could have done a lot better at your recital. And he, he looked at me, and goes, you're right. That was tough. <laughs> you know, I'm not used to it. I said, but I said, you know, I hear the town, I hear your abilities. I've heard it in the past and you just did not take the time to do it this time round. Next time round, I want you to spend more, t- you know, just kind of yeah. have to set them up. But I, I felt, I felt like I had to set them up and I felt bad, doing that but i didn't feel bad being honest with him but i do find that there is a lot of kind of um this soft touch and this consoling with whether it's with teachers or school or different things like that and this yeah this well you you know i i mean i think it's easy uh and i find it easy to turn to the students and say um uh, and, and they know this. I mean, intuitively, they know this when they when they is like, look, this is not an easy business. So, yeah. so um, you, you know, you you might have somebody, you, you, your friends that are playing this instrument or that instrument, they might have their teacher that that is that is uh, going to hold their hand and help them through and and do this and that. But you know, in the business, that's not going to happen. So we're going to yeah. be, yeah. you know, if, if it sounds good. Believe me, I'm going to tell you it sounds good, and your friends are going to tell you it sounds good. But if it doesn't sound any good, you're going to hear it because that's you know that's what your parents are putting a second mortgage on their house to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know they're they're not they're not doing this so that you know that I can pat you on the head. 
and um, uh, and and you know the students who really want to um, to do this, they get it. And I just had a student uh, just a couple of days ago, wonderful kid, um, who wrote me a note and said, "I'm I'm not going to continue in music." Um, and uh, and you and others, so my colleagues, my uh, teaching colleagues, mm-hmm. you guys have helped me understand that while I love music, uh, while I love music, it's just not my passion, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it just takes so much work and passion to, to accomplish what I need to accomplish as a musician, so I'm going to stay in school. Uh, at Capitol, which is great, and yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go into pre med. Wow! And so and so you know, um, to me, if if that can be accomplished, if you can if you can depart as friends, uh, you know, I mean, what the music business needs, the arts business needs, are people who become doctors. Um, and 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 in uh, in professionals who can understand their experience with the arts and then make a whole bunch of money and contribute. Right. And so, right. Um, uh, to me, that is a uh, that's that's a success. And um, what a very mature thing for a young yeah. person to, to come to yeah. that. Uh, and so, of course, when I wrote back to him. Uh, I, that's exactly what I said was, I mean, this is to me, this is, you know, good luck. Thank you. And thanks for your work and congratulations on making a really mature decision. And, uh, that's a big part of what we try to do. You know, if we spend all of our time teaching, Matt, and just talking about, you know, uh, the, the proper stroke height, um, uh, you know, we're 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 really missing out on uh, on a, a big part of the experience. Yeah. And um, you know, we're trying to develop people to obviously be good good players and appreciate music, but to, to develop them as, as individuals. And uh, and and so I, I felt really pleased with this young man that he was able to make a good solid decision make it on his own and uh and 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 walk away with his with his head high and and you know it's just it's it's a win-win then yeah well and 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 many times you talk about developing the person as an individual i mean there's so much about the music business where your ability to perform and your ability is one thing but but to be able to get along with people, to be able to tour with them, to be able to work in stressful situations in the studio or in a teaching situation. I mean, you can get a job or lose a job based on your ability to handle that. Well, we we know that uh, most gigs, um, you're only with these people uh, Two, two to uh, playing two to four hours a day, but you, but if you're out on the road, <laughs> you yeah. got the rest of the day, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, I think I think that that uh, a big part of teaching, one of the reasons why I like um, teaching in a in a in a university, is because it, you know if you tell them, tell the students that you say, look, I'm going to help you to to uh, read and speak and 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 uh, and write um, and certainly you, you know your experience 
reflects that. I mean, uh, you know, a great communicator and uh, you know, a great player, but just being able to 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 take your innate uh, skills and uh, multiple skills and leverage them into a multifaceted career. Mm-hmm. If all we're doing is talking to you know a, somebody about playing the right drum groove, you know that's a pretty shallow um, way to to go about things, especially when you consider that. Um, and I talk about this a lot too. You know, you graduate from college to today. Let's say you know, or, or you or you decide to go out and start your career. That career in today's business is likely for young people in their twenties. Mm. It's going to have you're going to have to be working for fifty years. You know, yeah. because of the way things are, people are not going to be retiring yeah. until they're seventy years old. You know. So what what are you gonna do for fifty years? Yeah, um, that that uh, that may relate to this. I mean, if if all your work, all you're trying to do is to get the hip the strum grooves together, yeah, um, those are gonna be gone in ten years, right. and uh, uh, you know at least now certainly. It's important to understand what goes into building those drum grooves. Yes. The fundamental issues of, of that I talked about before. But everything else, the writing, the speaking, how you present yourself, you know, um, that is, uh, that's what allows a career to develop. Has there been any experiences with this kind of entrepreneurship that, that you find coming out uh, in counseling certain students or certain people that are getting into the music industry and saying, well, hey, you know, if you want to do this, you might, here's, here's a story of something that I experienced that you might want to take with you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, I mean, the most recently I've got a, a, a graduate or a student who just graduated a year or so ago. His name's Cameron Leach. He's actually at Eastman School of Music right now. Okay. He's probably the well. He's he is he is one of the most outstanding solo percussionists in the United States. He's won a bunch of awards, and, wow. and he's he's really uh, you know it's L E A C Cameron L E A C H. And uh, if anybody's really interested in in really checking out what contemporary solo percussionists do, they should check out this kid's website. So this is why I'm mentioning this because. You know, he he's really kind of embarked on, um, he knows he wants to be a solo percussionist. He's really embarked on big time, like putting together a, a site and developing a brand and, and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of preparing himself in lots of different ways to, um, to, to go forward with this kind of a career, which will mean, you know, solo recitals with chamber orchestras and orchestras, and and you know who knows what, and uh, and he's and he's making a name for himself in a small way very quickly, and so I've I spent a lot of time with him, you know, talking about and and helping him in in certain ways with the with the business um, stuff, and you know that. You know, it's like anything else. I mean, the, the, that kind of advice or counsel is a direct result of your own experience. Right, and, right. Uh, 
And so, um, you know, so that's been the most recent example of that. Yeah. The original question that I had, had written down was, how does the idea of being, being an entrepreneur play a role in the way that one can develop a successful career in the music industry? Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's what... Uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and and uh, um, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I think that um, uh, if I could just kind of relay, uh, yeah, I, I think what it is is trying to draw from all of your experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, as an example, uh, you know, not to be too long-winded about this, but. I mean, last night, I you know, yesterday and last night, I played drum sets with the Cleveland Orchestra mm-hmm. uh, at at Blossom Music Center. Okay, so I mean, you'd think that uh, wow, you know, Cleveland Orchestra, they must have some guys that do that on a pops concert, you know, all over the place. Well, no, they called me to come up, and I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, but but why why is it that? That is easy for me to do. Well, it's it's challenging because you're reading, you 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 go up and you've got this music and you play through it one time with the Cleveland Orchestra and then you turn you take a break and you you play the show. Yeah. So that part is uh, you know would scare the hell out of a lot of people. Uh, but why is it why is it uh, somewhat easy? Well, years of experience, but that that experience goes back to. The fact that when I was 15 years old, I used to play uh, in the Marion, Ohio Community Concert Band, and there were two percussionists. There was a nice old guy by the name of Bill Flack who played bass drum and bells, and there was me, and I played the rest of the parts, uh, um, uh, all the all the other parts for yeah. the percussion section, <laughs> um, off the drum set. Okay, you know. Uh, you know, and and I did that for like three years in the summers, you know, and so I got used to playing off of scores, and while with a conductor with a concert band, you know, when I was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. So the idea of playing with a drum set with a large group is is a direct reflection on something I started doing with with a bunch of musicians in my hometown when I was fifteen years old. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So it just it's like one thing added on to another that that really allows you to if you're smart enough and and can think broadly enough, you know, kind of put all this stuff together. I mean, I'm 62 years old, so I probably have got about three more years of, of official teaching at the university level or something like that. And uh, uh, although I haven't made any announcements yet, don't plan to for a minute. And uh, but uh, I, you know, I end up doing so much um, traveling with uh, with uh, uh, in particular with Byron Stripling, who's the conductor of the Columbus Jazz Orchestra, but he's probably the country's busiest pops performer, pops orchestra performer. Mm. So I do I do all kinds of stuff with him. Bobby Floyd's on some of this stuff, yeah. and we're traveling all over the place all the time, playing with orchestras and some other kinds of gigs, and and uh, and then starting I hope I think starting to do a little bit of international stuff. So um, 
And your kids you know, are grown I, at this point. My right? kids are grown. Yeah. yeah okay. And uh, and uh, and my wife is retired, so she on the cool gigs that she she likes to travel to go with me. You know, <laughs> the, the, the ones, yeah, you know, the ones that aren't so cool. I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, they're cool gigs. Don't get me wrong, but but uh, I, I, I I get it. I, I, she, she won't be going with me to Tulsa here in a couple no. weeks, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so, I had a chance uh, to go to France about six years ago. I'm like my wife, yeah, so she went with me. Go. Of course, she did. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and like my, my wife went with me to uh, to uh, to uh, to Lebanon. You know, yeah, so uh, yeah. um, anyway, um, so I don't have any intention of of, uh, of stopping playing. You know, yeah. as long as I don't have to schlep my drums too much, I'm cool, <laughs> and. Uh, and because uh, I, I think that's what causes a lot of guys to quit playing, man. It's just too, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And um, so there's that, and then um, and then really this uh, this idea of 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 uh, the the teaching and consulting. I, I'm doing a little bit of work with uh, with an organization that uh, Dom Famularo is involved with. Uh, uh, called the sessions. I've st- I'm starting to do some things with them. Wow. This is which which is related to uh, to the music business, and uh, and and you know it's that kind of thing, sort of because the business is the business continues to evolve yes. so much. It's uh, it's uh, it's a difficult business. Um, I I believe that uh, you know you know my hope is that young people. Can uh, can actually make a living, continue to make a living in it, and and not give it all away. Mm. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, because there's a hell of a lot of giving away of, of music and talent. Yes. Um, you know, I'm I, I appreciate the uh, the DIY uh, uh, effort, if you will, but I also um, I, I I also don't see it having. Uh, a lot of legs uh, in, in longevity for young people who are uh, who are uh, uh, you know trying to make a trying to make a living out of it. So I'm, yeah. I'm concerned about that. But anyway, uh, just you know the the, uh, um, the the whole idea of of conveying information and knowledge. You know, I told, talked about this workshop that Soph and I are going to try to do. Those are the kind of things that I want to be able to, to try to continue to do to make a mark and, and help uh, help people in the business. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your, just the passion for teaching and how that just never seems to go away. And even after whatever you decide to do in a few years, it sounds like that's going to be a, continue to be a part of, of how you juggle a workload. You know? I think so. I, it seems yeah. to be that way. The 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 idea of of uh, too many more years of having to organize uh, the, a school year and a curriculum and everything like that that's uh, you know that that's I'm going to be able to get to uh, move away from that but yeah. the idea of conveying knowledge sure. I, I don't think so sure yeah well Bob I appreciate it man so much uh, taking the time to do this and talk to me and and share this this information I, I'm I'm real excited to to share this with everybody. Well, Matt, I'll tell you what, um, you know, for those of anybody that's going to listen to this that has done any teaching, they understand what I'm saying is that, you know, you can talk about all the cool gigs that you do, but, but if you, but if you're a teacher, you ultimately end up getting more pleasure out of seeing the success of, of your students and, uh, you know, what, you know, following what you're doing, 
um, you know, so many of my other guys that that uh, and gals that that are that are that are you know doing so many different things. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've got a young lady who's coming in um, named Teresa Vibberts uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, and she's a uh, she's a major. She's become a major uh, arts um, manager for Columbia Arts Management, wow. and uh, and uh, she was a pretty good, pretty good musician when she was in school. But took the initiative, and and uh, you know, and so to see to see the results of that work. I mean, that's really exciting to me. It continues to be exciting. So, congratulations on what you're doing, and Thanks. and everybody else. And uh, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk. Yeah. And good luck this year. All right, thanks. Don't hold back. Okay. <laughs> I usually don't. It won't. <laughs> it, it, it helped me, and it will help everyone else, I'm sure. All right. <laughs> but thanks, okay, Bob. Matt. Have a great week. I'll talk to you again All soon. All right. Thank you, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. There was my conversation with Bob. So much new and unique uh, ground to cover with that conversation. I appreciate him taking the time to call me and have that conversation. It was fun to catch up uh, when he visited Nashville last month, and I'm glad we were able to make this interview happen. Uh, he uh, unpacked some things uh, from a, uh, an educator's perspective that uh, I thought was really interesting. And uh, again, I appreciate his time, and I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. My thanks, as always, goes to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. And stay tuned next week for uh, Zach Albetta's interview. A quick reminder, we have t-shirts available. You can find them on our website, workingdrummer.net. Also, if you are interested in supporting this podcast and what we do, you can find us at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. This podcast is an ongoing project that needs help and to maintain and sustain the work that we do. Uh, As we grow, our expenses grow, and anything that you can do to help us uh, continue to do this, which we enjoy and we love doing every week, uh, is super appreciated. Again, patreon.com slash working drummer. We have awards for you, uh, for people that participate, different tiers of awards. So it could be a free t-shirt, could be a lesson with Ben Caesar, it could be uh, uh, access to bonus content, but at the very least, go to patreon.com slash working drummer and see what I'm talking about. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash working drummer. There's also a link on our website, workingdrummer.net. But again, we thank you guys so much for your input and listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.